0: Welcome to this very special episode of the Mindful News Podcast. We catch up with the father of modern day mindfulness, Jon Kabazin, whose incredible work for over 40 years has put together the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, or MBSR, program that is being used worldwide and at the core of dealing with stress and anxiety globally, but also providing a guide to being mindful. I'm joined by my good friend Jonathan Baker on the co-host, who not only helps me to run john's facebook group but also helps to share mindfulness through music and guided meditations there were many great questions being asked on the facebook group and this chat with john is to catch up ask these questions so that we can share the wisdom and feedback to the group we get into subjects like dualism no duality awareness versus witness and observer and dig deep into some of the most important questions on this very amazing topic for more videos and podcasts, visit mindfulnews.uk. And go for what, it. What's an honor it is. Again, gratitude. And, um, you know, we, we are part of your team, John, and we really want the best for the group and the page purely because we're on this mission, getting this, sharing the knowledge to as many people as possible, right? And I think
1: that this is... Well, a I couldn't have made platform. you guys up if, if I'd tried. I mean, you know, nobody would believe <laughs> the stories of how we've come to be in relationship. It's just like not possible or even what the motivations behind it are. Yes. And I love that that's a certain kind of mystery, but that we're, we're, we we can work together in this way. It's like, yes, totally amazing.
0: Okay. So thank you, John, um, very much for, for, for doing this. Um, we've got a series of questions that we're going to ask you, and I'm going to kick things off straight away. Um, so the first one's from John Morris, at Triton exec. And his question for you is in those moments when the anxiety comes in as a thought arrives as much as it is an overwhelming and a horrible feeling it's also one that seems justified in your mind for that moment therefore it feels wrong to use a trick or technique to push it away as there is a sense of having to allow this feeling to be there to warn me about something i'm concerned about so what do you say to that surely If one was always able to find a sense of calmness, you would never feel emotions of your heart.
1: I was with you until the very last statement. Uh, I'm not sure that the last statement is true. But yeah, we're not trying to push anything away and we're trusting those feelings and we're basically putting out the welcome mat for those, those feelings and not trying to push them away or idealize some kind of special state where we can just be infinitely equanimous but we can be aware of how unequanimous we are and how much we're hurting and how much we're lost or confused and so the real challenge here is as soon as you recognize it then you realize that even the words i'm lost i'm confused i'm hurting that those are thoughts about experience but you can hold all of that in awareness and then you can ask this interesting question which is not about dissociating from your feelings or thoughts but recognizing that you have a whole other way of holding them that doesn't eclipse other possibilities for well-being and for doing important things in the world and that is, you can ask yourself the question, is my awareness of my anxiety or my anger or my sadness or whatever it is that's gobbling me up at the moment, is my awareness of it angry or sad or, yep. you know, f- frightened? And you'll discover that it's not, that it's kind of like a, 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 a mother holding her child where the child is very, very upset, but the mother holding the child doesn't have to fix anything. Make it go away, just go with the flow, but let, stay in the love or stay in the awareness. And then it evolves by itself into not just going away, but we're changed by the process of holding both the wanted and the unwanted and the, un, and the neutral stuff that we usually never even notice. Holding it all in awareness, without having to push it away or pursue it or doing or do anything with it, and in that sense, we're learning how to inhabit this hidden dimension of reality called human awareness, that actually can do a huge amount of work when it's aligned in you know sort of ethical foundation of non-harming, including non-harming yourself with all your negative thoughts and depressive thoughts and anger often turned inward or feeling inadequate, I'm not good enough. So this is in some sense a profound opportunity for healing, which in my working definition of healing, is not fixing, it's not curing, it's not making anything go away, but rather it's coming to terms with things as they are. Right in this moment, not some kind of thought, Based, coming to terms with things as they are, but more that mother embracing the child, the her child kind of way. And that's, and you practice that over and over and over again. Every time the mind goes off, you bring it back in some way or other. And over time, you learn to default to a kind of wisdom, a kind of equanimity, a kind of stillness that sees things larger. So we're at a time when everything is going to pieces. I mean, or you could build stories of yourself about Everything going to pieces, uh, and you can then you can ask: Is that actually true, or has it, it, everything always been going to pieces in a certain way all through human history? And yet, you know, uh, also all sorts of good can happen. And then you can begin to experiment with or play with: How can I align myself to optimize well-being, not just for myself but for the world, and minimize harm? And hurt and suffering, not just for myself, but for the world.
2: All right, this next question comes from Constance Poraska. Hello, I am an MBSR teacher in Wichita, Kansas. I love the program and will continue to teach it. Wichita is just the right size to spread mindfulness faster. I have had many contacts at the YMCA businesses, the leadership center? Would it be possible to do a smaller train, the trainer type of mindfulness that would spread and change so many lives? The champions who appear could continue to study deeper. The state of the world now is desperately crying for mindfulness. Would you be willing and available to develop a program like this? Imagine if more people moved from their heart. I live in the heart of America. Kindest regards.
1: Wow. Um, Very beautiful. beautiful. Well, the, the short answer is yes. Anything that you can do that's authentic and grounded in uh, real practice of mindfulness. And that's a big proviso because uh, a lot of people don't actually understand the full dimensionality of mindfulness, but they want to teach it. And so the motivation very often is not completely um, pure in a certain way. But if you feel that you're ready to, in some sense, train other people how to do this within one framework or another, then absolutely, that's how uh, wisdom actually moves in the world. We are conduits in a certain way for wisdom. But it's also important that you receive as you're doing this from people who may be much more experienced or have much longer meditation practices and have already worked in those kinds of domains before uh so that uh uh, you don't get lost Uh, mindfulness is like a you know sort of very easy to turn it into a cognitive behavioral kind of therapy which would destroy the non-dual dharma elements of it that are absolutely at the core of this and of course if you don't know what i even mean by those words non-dual dharma elements of it then a lot more work on your part is in some sense required to study with teachers that will really give you the kind of foundation to be able to authentically move this uh, dharma perspective and embodied uh dharma perspective in the, in the world in a way that will be, um, maximally beneficial. So it's a lifetime's engagement and I wouldn't be in any hurry to actually build something that, um, you know, provides professional training for instance, because there are already some very, very credible professional training programs out there for MBSR. If it's not MBSR that you're doing, uh, but something kind of modified or whatever, of course, then it's really important not to call it MBSR because that confuses the scientific study of MBSR if we don't even know what MBSR is anymore, because everybody says that it's whatever they're doing. So you can do whatever it is that you like, but please don't call it MBSR or mindfulness based anything else like mindfulness-based cognitive therapy or mindfulness-based childbirth and parenting or all of those various scientifically studied programs out there. Uh, But avail yourself for sure uh, of all of the professional groups that are actually training in those areas because this really is a lifetime's engagement. And believe me, I mean, I've been practicing for almost 55 years and I feel like a beginner. So a very big part of this is not knowing too much. I mean, you want to learn to cultivate don't know mind, as one of my Korean Zen teachers uh, calls it, Uh, and to be really modest in what you think you know, but don't be afraid of sharing what you love. And I think that will give you a kind of good guardrails for not losing your way uh, as you try to uh, further this kind of practice in the world in the Midwest, in places where, as you say, your community can really, really, really benefit from it. Now that, that said, there's no one right way to do this. Just there's there's no one right way to practice mindfulness. There are an infinite number of wrong ways. So you have to be careful but there's no one right way. So the more you drop deeply into your own experience and draw on everything that you know from whatever your professional background and training is and everything else, the more you will supply the world with exactly what your neighborhood of the world really needs and probably needs most because you have your finger on the pulse of your community. And yes, you do have to train other people because basically everybody needs this so there there aren't enough teachers of mindfulness but you have to be very careful that you're not teaching some kind of um denatured version uh of where the only the only um authentic aspect of it is the word mindfulness but nothing stands behind it that's authentic and that's a big challenge mm-hmm. thank you our next question, John, is from Reshmi Aaron.
0: I've been doing MBSR since February this year. It has brought much relief, but some days or events trigger such overwhelming emotions, which no matter how much mindfulness or breath awareness I bring, the feelings don't go away. They pull me down. I feel like they're choking me and I have no control on them. What does one do?
1: They're not supposed to go away. So you've already, in some sense, not only answered your own question, but solved your own problem. <laughs> because it's not a problem. That's like saying, it's it, there's a thunderstorm out and I don't like thunderstorms, what should I do? You're not going to stop the thunderstorm. And the more you try to stop the thunderstorm that's going on in your own mind or your own head <laughs> or your own body, the more... Uh, you're gonna get into trouble of one kind or another. Because when, you're, when you go, go into battle with reality, you know who always loses? You. <laughs> so the more you can align yourself with um, uh, recognizing that mindfulness is not about getting anywhere else, but actually learning how to be with things as they are, good, bad, and ugly, And then holding that in awareness without having to fix or pursue anything at all, as long as you're doing it ethically so that you're not harming anybody else or yourself, then patience can arise. You can actually realize right now, maybe this is the right response to the atmospheric conditions in my own mind or in my own life, and I don't have to fix anything or pursue any. Thought-based goal, for now, just for now, and then live in that now comfortably, and then the next moment of now is going to be very different if you choose that path, mm. and then of course you're practicing in this kind of open-hearted, spacious way, and new arrivals, new new arisings can appear that wouldn't have appeared before because you were locked in to a certain kind of um, unfortunate uh, sort of pattern like a like a uh, like a whirlpool in water that the whirlpool doesn't have any actual real reality. It's just water turning in space, okay? But if you get caught up if, as a twig in the whirlpool, you can go down. But if you are patient and ride with the waves uh, and the forces of the whirlpool, it dissolves. It's actually pure emptiness. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So as soon as the mind creates a problem, then you have a problem. But if the Mm -hmm. mind just stays open and sees things as they are, underneath our thoughts about them and our liking and disliking, which is the, the practice, that's the exercising of the muscle, moment by moment by moment. Then actually uh, new uh, opportunities and insights can arise where we can actually let our doing come out of this domain of being that we're learning to inhabit. And it will be an entirely different doing and much, much healthier. So in a sense, what what I've just described defines being healthy in relationship to our own thoughts and emotions, and for that matter, uh, difficult body experiences.
0: Yeah. So very quickly, John, the, you know, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf them. Is that is that one of your genuine expressions? Because I see it everywhere your name. F-
1: yeah, so I know. If you look on the web, you'll- It's everywhere, John. it's everywhere. Is, is, yeah. that a, is that a Johnism? No, I took it and I quoted it yeah. in Wherever You Go, There You Are. From uh, uh, a yoga teacher, uh, Indian uh, guru named Swami Satchitananda, who is really a a fabulous character. Mm -hmm. And actually it's from a poster of this, you know, 70 plus uh, Indian, you know, guru uh, on a surfboard. and wow. underneath is the caption, wow. you can't with his flowing robes <laughs> and white beard and white. We need hair. To find that. They, yeah, we need to find that. You can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. And I just quoted it. And then because I quoted it and, of course, attributed it to Swami uh, Sachitananda, yeah. but then people just grab it off the internet and say that it's that an easy sound bite to
0: grab. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, thanks for that clarification i think we maybe two three more questions all right so jonathan if you may with the next one
2: right this next question comes from sue cummings it's a simple question that i sometimes wonder about when i'm meditating i sometimes enter a dream-like state is this part of the process i don't fall asleep per se i'm still sitting correct, but it's a pleasant feeling, dreamlike.
1: Everything that arises is, Sue, everything that arises is is a part of the process. But it does help if you uh, have, um, at times, some kind of guidance in how to deal with that. So I really appreciate your question. So when you're aware that you're kind of in this dreamlike state as you put it, uh, is your awareness in the dreamlike state? So you can you can look at that in the same way as you might bring awareness to pain or emotional you know uh, uh, pain and ask yourself that and investigate. So it's not like we're trying to establish any desirable or undesirable state and then hold on to it, but to notice that everything changes. Mm-hmm. So if you watch this state for some period of time, you'll see that it too is impermanent, and it's not who you are. And the knowing of that is like obvious, because your awareness sees immediately that it, it's just a thought construct or some kind of dream. You don't know how to describe it. may have some emotional charge, but it's just an appearance. So things come and go. And as I said, they're impermanent. So awareness just holds it without making uh, anything of it. So that's a kind of guiding principle that might be helpful is to not make anything of the experiences that arise during your meditation practice, because they're the same as the experiences that arise when you're not meditating. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And when we learn how to sort of not push away or not pursue any of it, but then we're cultivating equanimity, and then you all of a sudden realize like, hey, there's no difference between sitting down and meditating and just living my life, because I'm still aware, moment by moment. So the real curriculum here is to live your life moment by moment as if it really 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 mattered rather than to sleepwalk through it uh as we mostly do when we're on autopilot reacting to this that and the other thing and wanting this that and the other thing and pushing away whatever it is that we don't want and so uh, that's why the metaphor that i use of exercising the muscle of course we will fall into this state and that state And none of it is what you're looking for, but all of it is what you're looking at. And when you see it for what it is, then as um, St. Francis is famous for having said, I believe, uh, what you're really looking for is who is looking.
0: So do you use the word
1: awareness
0: and observer, and witness? Interchanging, it because I see you stick to the word Oh, word. I'm so
1: glad you, you I'm so glad you're asking me that question, Gee. That's a kind of I'm so glad you're asking me that question. I never use the word observer and I never use the word witness, and I'll tell you why. Yeah. yeah. But I do use the present participles, observing mm-hmm. and witnessing. Okay? Right. and there's a huge distinction here, and it has to do with reifying or making something of a process that's not personal. So when we say I'm breathing, for instance, mm-hmm. we don't know who the I is referring to. Right. But if I were to ask you, uh, raise your hand if you're breathing, everybody out there, you'd mm-hmm. all say, of course, I'm breathing and you'd raise your hand. But yeah. frankly, if it were up to you to be breathing, as I like to say, you, you would have died yeah, a long time yeah, ago. Yeah. Yeah. You're totally unreliable to be the breather. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, you're so distracted. Uh, you get a text or this or that, or the whoops, dead. Mm-hmm. So the biology of it doesn't, the, the, <clears throat> the phrenic nerve and the brainstem and the mm-hmm. diaphragm, They don't, you're not allowed anywhere near the actual apparatus that keeps you breathing because you can breathe mm-hmm. right through your sleep.
0: Yeah.
1: So who's breathing is becomes a really important question. Yes, yes so if you make an observer or a breather or a meditator Mm -hmm. okay or a witness yeah you're making an identity
0: that ego that is you're making some
1: some you're reifying a subject yeah you're bringing into bringing a
0: variable that isn't now you're you're, yeah, there's the fact yeah, You're creating
1: the, yeah. a separation between the subject and the object. Yeah, okay. The observer yeah. and the observed.
0: And do you call that duality or non duality? Or... That's,
1: dualism. So, that's, that's the, dualism. so it's not non dualism, it's dualism. Dualism. The okay, non dualism, okay. I'm so glad you're asking this. The yeah. non dualism is when you catch yourself in the dualism and you realize that it's like a magnet. You know, it's got a South Pole and a North Pole, but it's one mm. magnet. Yeah, yeah yeah, okay so don't we know. don't get into like I, I just want to cut the magnet in half and just take the north pole i don't want the south pole yeah sorry it doesn't work that way they yeah. are they inter are so there's no subject and object yes but when okay. you're for example but, doing a
0: meditation and you're ob- and the thought arises and you use the words observing the thought should that be used more metaphorically because you're being the awareness no, you to see, it? Because
1: but... it's a present participle, you can't use it to reify an observer. So I'm talking to uh, a, a, a being, so to mm-hmm. speak, who is capable of observing, mm-hmm. but you don't have to make it, uh, I'm doing it, I'm meditating, I'm observing, because awareness has the observing function built in. Yes. It's like no you that making that happen. But we haven't been taught that in school. So we don't realize that we have a whole other form of intelligence that goes way beyond and is much bigger than thinking. Thinking is a fabulous genius kind of superpower, you know, intelligence. Yeah. But what about awareness? That's even a bigger superpower because it can take any thought, including how big the universe is, or the multiverse is, and how complicated, and you can- It removes us from the equation. You, yeah. A, yeah. you know whatever you want, you know, sort of. And when all is said and done, all of that can be held in awareness ever without having so that, to even inc- go to school. Inc-
0: incumbent, it, like, it, kept, it brings it all in, the, the, the simple axiom, in its truest form it's not exactly so then you see
1: you have observing with no observing witnessing and if i'm guiding yeah if i'm guiding a yoga session for instance Mm. i won't say lift i won't say lift your right leg or lift your left leg or Mm. breathe in because then i'm using um What's called an imperative tense and I'm command using command language imperative here, tense. Yeah. Yeah. Imperative. Where I'm using command language that basically says, I'm here, you're there, you do this. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's robbing people of their own autonomy in a certain way, subtly. They may not notice yeah, it. Of course, the military uses that in big time. Mm-hmm. But if I am we're all lying on the floor and I say breathing in, I mean I'm not commanding anybody to breathe in it's like you're going to breathe in sooner or later because Mm -hmm. the phrenic nerve and the diaphragm and the brainstem are going to do it for you Mm -hmm. Uh, and the same with the breathing out and the same with lifting the leg how do you know how you're lifting the leg i mean at Mm a certain point the leg just lifts and we have the kind of conceit that we're doing the lifting but we have no idea how we're doing that so what i'm trying to point to is this non-dual domain Of uh, understanding that who we think we are is not who we are. So the self, the one that says, I am the observer, that is actually a form of delusion. Mm -hmm. And do you reify the ego as well? It reifies a subject. Yeah. And mindfulness is a non-dual meditative gateway. Yes. So the more something comes up this is why i think the buddha once famously said and i'm paraphrasing that all of his teaching could be encapsulated in one sentence
0: yeah
1: and i like to say on the offhand chance that that might be true maybe we should memorize the sentence even if we don't understand it and the sentence is nothing is to be clung to as i me or mine and the verb is to cling so that's to self identify to to sort mm. of make something of mm. the i the me and the mine these personal pronouns yes. so when we begin to understand the the non reify nature of the personal pronouns the 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 non sort of any any kind of uh, turning them into some kind of unchanging fact, but that they're just pointers towards a kind of ongoing, continually changing mm-hmm. universe that we use the word self to describe. Yeah. Then we can begin to understand what it really means to be, to be, and then how we use language, dualistic language, like I'm me, I'm myself, mm-hmm uh which actually can if we're not aware of it function as a prison if we're aware of it then of course conventionally you yeah. don't say well i can't go home because it's not my house <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know <Yeah>. you don't <laughs> lose your mind in that particular way although yeah. that's you know some people do where they go off the mm-hmm. deep end of meditation and they they, mm-hmm. they they don't know how to distinguish between abs- absolute and relative mm-hmm. reality so we're yes. talking here about the sort of deep nature, the deep structure of reality yeah. and the deep structure mm. of the self. And there I've even used the word the self, knowing that whatever we say is the self. It's like one of those whirlpools I mentioned exactly, earlier. Yeah. yeah, it's real, but it's also empty mm. of any kind of intrinsic permanent nature.
0: Yeah, it's funny how you say that, because when you write certain comments in the Facebook group, someone will point you out, ah, you said that word where... Even though the intention was that because you, you slip up on a word where you, you kind of, in, you know, you include the I or the self in a certain way, you know, you'll get people jumping in. Well, it's good it, that it's people easy,
1: are catching catching It's easy to forget, though. Slip up. Yeah, yeah. The idea is there. Yeah. So, so there's a certain way in which mindfulness is requiring us to be mindful of how we language things. Yes. And notice I'm even using the word language as a verb. And I do that a lot. How we to language language things? Yeah, yeah. Okay, because you can language them totally dualistically, Mm
0: -hmm. or
1: you can conventionally realize that we have to, in some sense, use the language of I, me, and mine, and self, and so forth. But we can actually language it in ways that point to our 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 recognition that it's it's empty of any kind of reality. It's just Mm -hmm. a conventional. Kind of a convention that we agree upon, yeah. but that it's not a core reality.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, is this we, making we, sense we should, to you? No,
0: absolutely. I think we should do another podcast where we just go deep on the non duality when we talk about and, awareness you know, versus made observation. i very happy
1: asking that question. You could see that.
0: Yeah, because I think there's, especially when you've been meditating for a while, these are genuine questions that pop up into your mind. And when you try to explain it to someone and they, you know, they bring up, well, you know awareness versus observing versus the witness well why is there a distinction you now what is the umbrella term and why is that important yeah and i and think we happens. just
1: answered it yeah, yeah I think we did we absolutely just, but i think we just we, answered that yeah
0: yeah exactly uh, and thank you so much for doing that but you know i would love to like dig your brain on on a lot of these subjects where it's more well by es- all means, esoteric just, but it's like well we take it and we, we just go a bit when we talk, talk about the word ego because a lot of people use it mean, to mean, oh, you're being egotistical in a more of a narcissistic kind of selfish way versus the idea that you're actually considering yourself as a physical form versus, you know, this this consciousness that's connected with everything, right? And, and what does that mean? And is that even true? And just kind of like talk about it, you know, and just... Explore some of those conversations, you know. That I think that would be fascinating. I'm happy to
1: do that once yeah. or twice a year. I'd be happy yeah, yeah, to yeah, do yeah. that with G. I mean, and and again, you just asked probably the most important question of all. And if people are not entirely understanding of the answers that I've given, mm-hmm. and I've given multiple sort yeah. of approaches to it, um, that's okay, because this is something that the thinking mind alone will never figure out because the thinking mind is limited but if you hold the not knowing in the awareness and be the knowing that the not knowing actually is and I know that sounds like insane talk but follow, many times, so even knowing that, that yeah. the not knowing actually is then, then you'll understand something about the power of awareness Yes, mm-hmm. because knowing what we don't know is really wisdom And it can give rise to incredible creativity and works of imagination Mm -hmm. when you just trust that it's all available to you. I won't say it's all inside you, because I don't want to make a boundary between inside of you and outside of you, really. Because in a certain way, you're a product of the whole universe. And you're not, all of us are, and we're not that explainable. Mm -hmm. But between life and death or birth, uh, I'm sorry, between birth and death. We have an incredible opportunity Mm. to actually wake up and realize the full dimensionality of what, what it means to be human. Yeah. And it's a very brief opportunity. Yes.
0: So before I hand it over to Jonathan to see us out with the last question, uh, do you see like when you explain mindfulness, like, almost like trying to explain um quantum mechanics to someone that isn't aware of what quadr- quadratic equations are or what algebra is so before we can talk about algebra we need to understand the axioms of like a plus b equals b plus a and you know the simple mathematics because like when i try to explain mindfulness to someone that's never practiced it before it's like trying to explain i, I mean Do you see it akin almost to something like an issue of communication? Because you know, you could tell the smartest minds, you know, the depths of knowledge and learning from your years of of experience in exploring the laboratory of your own mind and mindfulness. But then without someone having actually experienced that first step of, oh wow, just to sit with your thoughts and just to realize some of the chaos and the repetition and the randomness and And then without that, you know, the struggle of being able to explain them, you know, some of the the stuff that we learn later down the road. I mean, is it necessarily you have to like stand on each previous block in order? And if you haven't stood on those blocks, that it's that the ability to truly get when you're talking about non-duality or awareness versus witnessing and observation, that without those those steps beforehand, you are unable to... yeah, you you not able to appreciate, and even if we explained it all day long in the and we've the vernacular where you ex- understood every word, but without really having experienced those earlier stages. And I don't want to call them stages like there's a process or something, but it's almost like without going through the wonders of all that for you, to it's like quantum mechanics. No, you need to understand quadratics first, and then basic algebra, and then you know, some you know multiplication, addition, etc
1: you should be teaching yourself all this stuff that's that's beautifully said look some people actually talk about meditation as kind of like the hubble space telescope Mm. that if you really want to look into the deepest nature of the universe Mm. uh, and the deepest nature of the human mind there's nothing more powerful at the moment than the hubble space telescope yes. except soon there'll be the james webb space telescope mm. which will make the hubble look like you know child's play yeah. but with meditation with mindfulness that's the hubble that's the practice is mm. the yeah. hubble telescope mm. so you you are so without reifying now the hubble telescope what you're saying I and mean, what you're intimating is that this is so deep so deep that it's like hey, what kind of preliminaries do you need? And in certain traditions, there's all sorts of stages and preliminaries that you go through before you, you know, um, progress through various kinds of stages. And that's one very venerable tradition of teaching Mm -hmm. wisdom or mindfulness or meditation. Mm -hmm. But I have not followed that root. I go much more with the non-dual Zen or Chan tradition in, in China, where uh, it's beyond name and form, and it's beyond all the written uh, instructions and sutras and commentary and all that direct perception transcending name and form, okay? Direct transmission, it's called outside the teachings. Yeah. The direct perceiving beyond name and form mm. so that's something we're born with yes and we can help each other to develop because mm. it's an arduous <clears throat> practice to wake up yeah it's not like oh hey oh yeah thanks for telling mm. me breathe in breathe out now i'm yeah, free yeah. from all mm-hmm. of my suffering and the causes of suffering this is like a lifetime's work at least yeah and so uh many people can study the stages because everything's available on the internet now and there are phenomenal, wonderful teachers out there in all of the various, you know, Tibetan schools and, 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 uh, and in different schools of, uh, of, of Buddhism,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but most people are not going to understand that. Yes. And it will take them, 20 lifetimes to kind of get up to the quantum mechanics, so to speak. Do you know what I'm saying? Or yes, the Hubble yes. Space Telescope. Mm-hmm. And the irony is that they're already the Hubble Space Telescope. Yes. Every single one of us is. Yes, exactly. So yes. these are some of the kind of interesting mm-hmm. ways in which the Dharma or the lawfulness of the universe uh, is made available to a wide range of different kinds of temperaments and mm-hmm. people in different stages of life in different places in the world. Yeah, yeah. And some people will be attracted to, you know, mindfulness with me, and other people will be repelled by mindfulness, <laughs> yeah, as yeah, John Kabat-Zinn yeah. talks about it. But they'll find somebody else that says, this person makes total sense. Yes, yeah. And it doesn't matter which door you go into, because they're all different doors into the same room. Yes. Yeah. And we're all just beginning. We're all, like, not even in kindergarten. This is daycare. hmm but we got to go through some door and then yeah. you know uh, enjoy the daycare and see what emerges yes so i'll tell you what perhaps
0: in like may june next year i'm gonna set up a session where we like i'm gonna come at you hard with some of these uh, these questions and i'd love like this has been fascinating i mean I after be said this has been fascinating so um yeah let's say let's shoot for like may june of next. okay year, with me we... as
1: far as I can project out into the future. <laughs> yeah,
0: just give me time to work on something. But
1: I am, I'm open to that, Guy. Let me just say I'm open to that. Uh, and, and I feel like I don't know how many people, you know, will be interested in that kind of thing. But if you're interested in it, I'm, I'm, I'd be happy to just trust that.
0: Yeah. And it's like how many people are interested in, in, in quantum mechanics? doesn't mean there's any less relevance or it's not any less true, right? Totally. But totally. no matter how esoteric a subject is, it doesn't take anything thing away and, from and it. And
1: I, I think it's also important to say that even the, the greatest Nobel laureates in quantum mechanics, they don't actually understand quantum mechanics either. Yeah, but not to say but that because, just because you're there doesn't
0: mean you got <clears throat> it. Maybe you're just there to an inf- infinity or to an infinite the, amount of The amount, math right?
1: itself, people tell me, Reveals certain aspects of the nature of the universe, universe. Yep. that are very, very hard for the human mind to grasp because mm-hmm. we're so based in time and distance, and we measure distance by time. Yeah. So, and when you get down to the Planck length, uh, ten to the minus thirty-three uh, mm-hmm. meters, I think it is. Uh, space and time themselves dissolve and so the mathematics as i understand it not being a mathematician or a physicist all of a sudden becomes problematic and and one of the problems is that like uh, there's no like it's very hard to reconcile that with what we understand about space being in some Mm -hmm. sense um gravity yes that gravity and space the gravity Shape space, or we don't even know what space is and how
0: it bends you know and, it's like and yep. of
1: course gravity gravity shapes bends space, mm. yes. but what about at the ten to the minus thirty three meters mm-hmm. so yeah, these are all like fascinating doors Amazing. into the nature of reality, Amazing. yeah, and I think it's important to say that you know the quantum uh, mechanicians, so to speak, Mm -hmm. are as mind blown by this whole thing, if not Mm -hmm. more mind blown by it than anybody else. Yes. Yeah. And one more thing, it took a hundred years exactly from between Einstein's uh, general theory of relativity and the prediction that there would be, that space itself would vibrate if there was enough gravitational energy okay Mm -hmm. like colliding colossal black holes Mm -hmm. would send out vibrations in space and 100 years after he did the math and at the first hardly anybody understood what that general theory was really Mm -hmm. pointing to and then they developed two incredible observatories telescopes but that are not actually looking at light, but that are actually measuring distance. And they actually detected 2,000 miles apart, those gravitational waves that were like from colliding black holes billions of years ago. And by the time they got to earth, they detected changes in length of like, you know, I don't know. Uh, less than the width of an atom, maybe the width yeah. of an electron. Yeah. But they had two observatories, so they knew it wasn't noise because they got the signal at both at the oh. same time.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, for human beings to do that, <clears throat> simply mind blowing. Yeah. It costs a lot of money, by the way, uh, and thousands of people working together to do one thing. So maybe that's not the most important thing for us. In the 21st century is to detect gravity waves. Maybe the most important thing is to figure out how to not destroy ourselves on the planet uh, in the next 50 or 100 or a 1, thousand years. Yeah. But it shows that when we set our minds to do something, money's not a problem, mm. physics isn't a problem, intelligence isn't a problem, we can do it. Yeah. And I take a lot of, um, a lot of heart from that. a lot of optimism from that
0: all right jonathan okay jonathan take us home take us home
2: oh man how do i follow all Uh, (laughs) that that's what you say in the music world um well again john thank you so much for this opportunity it's been such a joy uh i don't have a lot of questions i mean the one that i had Sort of floating um, today is kind of kind of goes along with uh, what you guys were talking about. Um, so, John, without having any sort of goal to achieve an enlightened state or greater level, again, like we're talking about, yet having a dedicated Ongoing, uh, daily practice. Um, is it, is it actually possible to, I've heard different teachers out there say things like, you know, we've heard like develop a mind that clings to nothing. Um, I've heard, um, just different teachers like the Eckhart Tolle, for example, mentioned, you know, claim to have uh, dissolved the ego. And um, really is the question here, at the end of the day, John, is it our attachments to our opinions that's really preventing us from getting out of our own way? You just answered your own question. You don't need to
1: ask me that question. Develop a mind that clings to nothing. Another translation of that is (coughs) develop a mind that abides nowhere. So that's a definition of awareness. It's not like you even have to develop it. What you're developing is access, reliable access to it, because you've got it. It's part of your truest nature. There's no improving on awareness. (laughs) You can't go to school to be more aware. (laughs) You've got it, baby. Yeah. The question is, so actually, that... um, That line, develop a mind that clings to nothing, is, uh, do you know where that's from? The story? I I remember
2: you speaking about it during the 13 weeks, but maybe you could, maybe you could explain again.
1: Well, this, it's, it, it had a very powerful effect on my life because that is the story. Uh, and of course, it's probably apocryphal, but it goes back to Tang Dynasty, China in the 700s. Okay, and um, this young um, young monk, illiterate, was uh, working in the uh, kitchen pounding rice in a big monastery with hundreds of m- monks and so forth, all Buddhist monastery in China. And somebody walked by the window reciting the Diamond Sutra. And that line is from the Diamond Sutra, develop a mind that clings to nothing. Mm. And it's said that in that moment, this young, he was a kid. He was like a teenager. That one sentence just did it for him. He didn't do anything. He didn't try to do anything or to realize anything, but it just the language that's often used is, it just broke his mind open. It broke his mind open.
0: Love that, I love that.
1: And there's a whole story about it, which I won't go into, but it's really beautiful to prove his, because of course they have to test your understanding. So he, you know, so the head monk goes and posts something about his understanding to receive the robe and the bowl of the the fifth patriarch, who was the head of the monastery. It was time, for the head of the monastery to pass on the mantle to the next, to his successor. And that chief monk in the monastery was the one who was, obviously all the monks knew, he was like, his, his dharma, his wisdom was the best wisdom. so And he posted something, uh, a calligraphy on the wall of the monastery one night, and, and then, um, the young monk who was illiterate, couldn't read it, of course, but he had someone else read it for him. And and he said, well, could you write out something if I dictated something to you? So he dictated his understanding versus the head monk's understanding and put it up on the wall next to the head monk's. Mm. And it was just a beautiful example of like the head monk was saying that the I don't remember exactly how it goes, but the, the mind is like a mirror bright, uh, don't let any dust alight, you know, so it's like beautiful, you know, the, mm. you keep sweeping the mind, clearing the mirror, and the, don't let any dust alight, and uh, the young monk uh, who was illiterate said, there is no mind, there is no dust, where can anything alight? and mm-hmm. you know it was like a non dual reality understanding versus a dualistic understanding yes. so he had to run away from the monastery in the middle of the night he was given the robe and the bowl by the fifth ch'an patriarch and he became huineng the sixth and you know sort of some people would say greatest of the sixth and patriarchs the last and then there was a whole lineage that went on for a thousand years, I mean, still alive, where they mm. chant the names of all of those people who were in the direct succession from Hoi the mm. illiterate rice pounder.
0: <laughs> the illiterate rice pounder.
1: Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so um, develop a mind that clings to nothing. And that doesn't mean that you don't care or that you're not ethical or that, you, you know, you'll stand by and watch people, you know, sort of commit murder or anything like that, or injustice of any kind. It doesn't mean, it means that you, you see clearly what's going on. You act on the basis of what you see, but you don't cling to the results. So you're, you're willing to stand in the fire, you know, uh, in a sense beyond life and death, beyond time and space, uh, clinging to nothing that, Maybe the the most beautiful way to express the value of life Mm. is to not be so afraid of dying that we actually are afraid of living. Or we're not true to ourselves because somebody who's smarter and more well-trained has a better answer and everybody thinks they're the right person to do the job when they're not. And you know, and you may be if you know what the job is. <laughs> wow. So,
0: John, thank you so much for your time. And, you know, Jonathan and I in our own conversations together always, you know, just geek out on how fortunate we are to be part of this one beautiful community that your legacy has, you know, um, has created. And the amount of goodness that it's doing in the world, we're just, we just want to keep as true to your message as possible and as true to your teaching and believe me
1: i feel it if i didn't feel it i wouldn't be here and for uh, sure for sure, you know that uh but it's actually been going on with yuki for a long time yeah about seven (coughs) eight years i feel the same i mean so it's hard to explain this kind of thing and i think you know in all ways i didn't make any of this stuff up this, I, I have teachers, everything is basically contributing. I, I, I wrote a little book called Letting Everything Become Your Teacher. So none of this is really personal. And we all have debts that are not payable to the people who uh, were our teachers or the circumstances. The shoulders of giants,
0: standing on the shoulders of giants. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And the only way that we can really pay it back is to pay it forward.
0: Beautiful. I like that. I like that.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's why I do what I do.
0: Yeah.
1: And you do it so well. Well, I love you guys. <laughs> it's just been so touching. So you know, it's quite late for you, Gee, now, and I, I want, I want to just thank you for the, the time that you devote to this, and, and you, it's as a pleasure. John. It's a pleasure. Well. This is the best kind of love. It's like, you know, where we don't take personally what's not personal. Yeah. And then we really love it. Yeah. And we love the way it, it's so personal Mm
0: -hmm. and you know, it's, it can actually, I'm surprised how sometimes how lonely it is, you know, again, bringing the ego involved, but how, you know, when, like I said, not to say that I might be quantum mechanics level of it yet, but you know, at least the quadratics where you, you know, there's a certain understanding and just like, wow, I, I would love to talk about this. Cause it's like a philosophy, you know, so it's talking about life, you know, talking about existence and our purpose. And I just find it some, it's just so nice when I talk with you, John, because sometimes there is almost a lack of people, a that I know in my immediate circle of friends and that where we can, just explore these conversations and uh, you know, run ideas past each other. And whereas you just get to the Instagram and Facebook and the BBC and coronavirus and football and just like the, you know, the surface level conversations that when you, when you're able to have a dialogue with someone that's, you know, been through similar challenges and, you know, the loneliness of just going through the, the laboratory of your own, own mind and what you learn from it, and just seeing other people get involved in the community. So it's just, it's just lovely True. to be able to, to share and just to feel like part of a, um, and again, that's what the group is for, to feel part of this community where one can ask these questions and have you know, people commenting and feeling and learning from each other as well.
1: But there's another element to it, or let me say another dimension actually, and I wanna point it out to both of you because uh, who you are is doing all the work. If you, you weren't who you are, the two of you, mm. I would not be here with you. Mm. <clears throat> so it's not just what you do that has an influence out there. It's who's doing all the doing.
0: Mm.
1: And, you know, from that point of view, you don't have, need to have conversations about the Hubble Space Telescope and uh, and gravity and, um, and uh, you know, quantum mechanics and that kind of thing. Mm. Sure. That you can eat that up with the people who you can relate to around that when mm-hmm. you've got the time, but what, what is most transmissible, like riffing on the virus, mm-hmm. we're doing something that's transmissible.
0: Yes,
1: It's the Dharma that's actually transmissible. Yeah. Only instead of being virulently, you know, sort of uh, lethal, it's virulently the the uh, loving, antonym, yeah, loving the antonym, <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever that is. <laughs> and and so that's that's your strongest suit is your being and yeah. who you are, and people feel that whether you're talking about football or anything mm. else. And of course, Jonathan and I well know that when you're talking about football, you're not talking about the real football. The real, the <laughs> yeah, <yeah>. right, right.
0: <laughs> we have to disagree on that one, John. And I think that's a beautiful way to, to to end the um to end the podcast this evening. And yeah, thank you so much, John.
1: Listen, and, um, I love you guys. I mean, I feel really honored myself to be part of this. Uh, you're, you know, kind of. A lot younger than I am, and 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 I really feel like there's something about this that is really magical, and I feel really privileged uh, to be part of it.
2: We love you as well, and when we feel equally privileged, and we feel it too. Yeah, well, yeah. well, let's all pay it
1: forward then, and Absolutely. see what emerges.